You know, I gotta say, uh, that intro's like bass boosted over here. Is this it? It's crazy. It, it is pretty loud. You're like uh, shaking. I'm looking on the bar. I may have to bring it down in the, uh, in the edit later, but yeah, I mean, you know. It, honestly, it's weird because that one's really loud, and then our one for from the bench is like really. Hey, quiet. I mean, you know, wake us up this Saturday morning that we're That's recording true. this That's special true. Black History Month episode. Where we have our friend Demaya here. Say hello, Demaya. Hello. Where do you go to school? Uh, I go to Bama. Boo. Uh, boo. Well, boo. I mean, sorry, we just won the natty. That okay? Okay. Uh, does that have anything to do with this sorry, episode? I can't hear you. I mean, I can't hear y'all over the sound of our national championship. Wait, That's does not does not you win in the natty have anything to do with this episode about Black History Month? Yep. What? No. Yeah. I was about to say, I, I'm not really sure what the relation must be there. It doesn't seem like there's much of a connection, but. So today we have a very special episode, as I just said. We're going to talk about some good movies. Alex wasn't able to watch one of them, so we're not going to talk about that one. We might mention it. But first, we're going to go over some movie news, and we'll course, jump right we into all, it. As we always do. So first and foremost, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is starting to film this year. That is the, of course, third in the trilogy with James Gunn. The Thor's very- in it. Ah, that's right. He is in the very, very popular trilogy, um, as I'm sure anybody who you know watches movies knows that. It's been very popular for a while now, and that'll start filming. I wonder at what pace they'll go, because, you know, with the pandemic, movies are kind of filming at a strange spot, because, you know, anytime there's, you know, an outbreak on set, everything's got to be shut down for two weeks, and then the movie gets extended and delayed. But we'll keep an eye on that in the future. Also, animated Blazing Saddle remake. Mm, that's crazy. It's almost like I was talking about that last week. Ah, clearly Davis knew exactly what he was talking about in the moment. Um, it I'm is going to be more family friendly, but yeah. still, I mean, it's kind of crazy how I mentioned that they... Never mind. I'm not going to get into that debate right now. We just need to go over the mo- yeah. news. Yeah. But they're making it. Mel Brooks is going to be in it himself. It's really? animated. It has dogs and cats as the characters. Oh, interesting. It's called Blazing Samurai. Interesting. I look forward to that. That'll be cool. Um, kind of weird. And then... Also, the Superman reboot with J.J. Abrams and Ta-Nehisi's Coates. That's okay. I was I was wondering. How to, I wanted to make sure I pronounced it right the first time. Also, I I checked it out, and he has no writing credits whatsoever. Coates. Yeah, like like he's only written books. Interesting. And you got to start I, somewhere. I know, but I mean, yeah, but uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Davis or Demaya, for this matter. But like, I just don't want another Superman. Like, how many different Superman are we gonna have? Like, we had. You know, the Christopher Reeves from the 70s. Well, here's the thing. This Superman is reportedly going to be the first Superman of color in film. That's true. That's what what I've been hearing. But the thing is, I don't know if it's going to be like he's from Krypton or there was a story in the comics once Superman died in the comics, like five Supermen showed up. And there was one, I was a person of color, that was Steel, John Henry Iron. And there's the movie that Shaq made, like, 30 oh years my ago, gosh, that was steel. right. Oh, that movie's so terrible. But I don't know if it's going to be like him or if it's actually just going to be... Uh, Superman just of color. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't have again, an issue I, with it. I don't have an issue with that as much as I have an issue with just the constant changing. Like, because it seems more like, you know, they're not doing it out of, you know, necessity to build like an Elseworld story, which again, I think that'd be cool, but it's like, you know, they're just getting rid of Henry Cavill to get another Superman again, which yeah, Henry Cavill was good. What's going to happen to him? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like he's done, which I'm annoyed about because I thought he was really good. I really like him as Superman. Exactly. And I, that, like that, I would rather have both and like make this one, you know, part of the universe but like you know the whole different world different earth type thing and i'm also concerned that jj Abrams is doing it because as any you of you listen, so good with star yeah, wars yeah as any of you guys who listen to our sequel trilogy episode on star wars jj Abrams as well he's let's just say there's not he didn't have a lot of fans here at the uh, through the lens podcast because yeah no it's not it's not been great 
some of the movies he's made and arguably some of the movies he's ruined in the past, but that's, I guess, up for debate. And also, Spider-Man 3's title was released as Spider-Man No Way Home, which, I mean, I guess I get it. I'm kind of tired of the whole home theme, but I guess if that's the theme of your trilogy, you got to stick with it. I just personally would rather them switch it up than just, you know, make it a pun on the word home. Like, I don't know. That's not a pun. Well, no, wait, okay, not pun. I guess incorporating the word home into the title is what they've done. Homecoming, Far From Home, No oh, Way Home. Yeah. Like, I just, w- I guess if that's the theme of the trilogy, that makes sense. But, like, also, it's just kind of boring. And I really don't like those Spider movies that much. I think I'm in the minority on that one because most people like them a lot. But I like them. I don't know. I just, I'm a bit too harsh on them, I suppose. But I'm kind of. We can talk about that on a separate episode. I'm out lately. But, and finally, in the movie news, a Blue Beetle movie with Jaime Reyes playing the Blue Beetle will be the first Hispanic solo superhero movie. And that has been announced by DC. Not, no word on when it's going to be coming out, of course, because everything's up in the air right now. But that movie's been announced. And the Blue Beetle is a character that goes back to roughly the 60s and 70s, but the Hispanic version of the character was released in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I've seen, I've seen some talk about how it's a pretty big achievement uh, amongst fans of the character and amongst just Hispanic comic book fans in general because this is, you know, the first one that will ever have Hispanic solo superhero movie. So pretty big achievement. I think it'll be interesting, you know, again, not necessarily name recognition for that character because not many people know about him, but... I mean, if it comes out and, you know, this is the first time people see the superhero and it's a good movie, I think that's a great step in the right direction. But, of course, we'll have to see. Now, that's going to do it for all of our movie news this week. We'll come back with some more next week. But now, Davis, take it away. So our first movie we were going to talk about was one that Alex was able to watch. I'm not, bl- I'm not blaming him or anything. I'm just saying he was able to watch it, so we're not going to end up talking about it. We might mention it here for a few seconds. Demai and I watched it. It was Judas and the Black Messiah. It was a movie about Fred Hampton and... His, uh, a guy that infiltrated him from the FBI, William O'Neill, that ended up betraying him and led to Fred Hampton's assassination by the police. So, just quick thoughts to my, did you like it? What'd you think? Uh, I actually really liked the film. I think that it kind of showed the inner workings of the Black Panther Party, uh, specifically that branch, and specifically what they went through and, like, how he lived his life, like, how dedicated he was to his cause. Like, he was prepared to die. But I don't think he was prepared to die in that moment. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty good. I think it's as a movie, it's good. It tells a good history of the Black Panthers. Yeah, I think it's. I'm not gonna say it's a wholly unbiased. It's a it's a movie. It's a it's a Hollywood movie. They're gonna have to change some stuff. Yeah, it doesn't show everything about the Black Panthers. But I, I think it's it's a pretty good movie. Shows it pretty well. Tells the history. Tells a history that you don't really hear about about William O'Neill. Who the, who drew the blueprints to Fred Hampton's apartment? So and he he felt like Stanfield played a good character. He had to have therapy after playing him. Dang. Yeah, you should have watched it, Alex. I, I'm Davis. I said I was sorry. I, hey, I got three good movies watched this week. <laughs> Could have had four. That's true. I will say, um, the way that they portrayed the FBI, like specifically in like its creation, um was really good to me just because like people are like oh the FBI like that's great but they don't know why it was created or like what its specific purpose was which was like to stop black and brown liberation that's right and Martin Sheen plays J. Edgar Hoover in this Martin Sheen as in Charlie Sheen's dad and Mario Estevez's dad 
John O'Leary. Emilio Estevez. Oh, dang it. Not Mario Estevez. Come on, I'm man Emilio Estevez. Did you not watch The Mighty Ducks? No, I haven't seen The Mighty Ducks. Oh, my Alex, did you watch Judas and the Black Messiah? Okay, 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 okay. Wow. First of all, there's a difference between those two. No, there's not. Well, I mean, one of them is just older, so it's been around longer. Yeah, and I never saw it. I mean, I'm, that's the only point that I really have is that it's been older, so it's been around longer, so more chance for you to watch it. That's a good point. Demai, just say it over the mic at this point. Oh, I said he has no point. Yeah, okay, there, there we go, there we go. That's almost like going, we have a show that mentioned this movie. What? What? <laughs> I don't know what you just you, said. Demai, you realize that that was ten times worse, right? No, think about it, Alex. No, I, what, I, do we, what is this show? I, I honestly, I'm not what sure. Is what is this show, is. Alex? I'm not sure what it is at this point. It's a movie podcast, and what was one of the movies we were watching? Um... I, I, I don't, I, Judas and the Black yeah. Messiah. Yeah, okay. Oh. Owen, so I haven't seen Mighty Ducks, and you haven't seen Judas and the Black Messiah, so we'll call it even. Okay, that's fair. Boom. <laughs> all right. All right, so that's, I guess that's all we'll talk about on that. Anyways. Yep, that's, that's really it. <laughs> what in the world? Next, we are moving on to 12 Years a Slave, a story about the uh, free man Solomon Northup that got kidnapped and sold into slavery. Uh, directed by Steve McQueen and starring Chiwetel Ejiofor, amazing actor. Also, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Michael Fassbender, Benedict Cumberbatch, Brad Pitt, among the few. And I, Paul Giamatti's in it for like 10 minutes. I will say one thing about this movie is the first takeaway for me within minutes of watching it is that, I mean, this is one of the most talented casts that I've ever seen. I mean, every role is filled by some A-lister. Like, Paul Giamatti has a very short role, but of course, honestly, his role stood out to me among many others because his character was absolutely crazy. I don't know. We can talk about that scene in a minute, of course, but like, I mean, everybody's doing something. Like, even the two people that capture Solomon are two actors that I've recognized from a million different movies and TV shows in the past. And even um, the two circus people that lure him to uh, Washington, D.C., which I actually did some research on why that was the whole point, and I, and I can talk about that in a second. I don't know if you guys uh, figured that out, but... Like, even those guys were two big-named actors. One guy from SNL, even. Like, I mean, top to bottom, it's just insane how many people are in this movie that are just very talented actors. And it shows because, I mean, every role is just knocked out of the park. Specifically, Lupita Nyong'o, who, this was like her big breakout role, and she actually won the Oscar for it. Deservedly so, in my opinion. But did you guys know why the whole deal was to learn to Washington, D.C.? No, you can go ahead and tell us. Okay, I didn't, at least. So did you? No. I did, some, I did some research because I wanted to figure out how true this movie was. Because, you know, they say based on a true story, I'm thinking, all right. You know, it's based on the book. Yeah, it, it based on the book that he wrote, actually. Yeah, so I was like, all right, where's the creative license? Where does it end up? So, essentially, him being the big performer with the fiddle was entirely true, and that is depicted in the film, and it was in his real life. So the reason they lured him to D.C. is because at that point, slavery was still legal in Washington, D.C., which I did not know, but oh. apparently it was at the time. So that was the trip was come to D.C. with us because then – you can lack, you cannot seek much legal action, even if you are kidnapped, which is insane to say, but that was the reality of the situation. As horrible as it was, that's what was going on. And so the idea was to learn to Washington, D.C., and you see this later on because in real life, after he escaped, he tried to hold the men responsible, but he couldn't do it in court because Washington, D.C. actually barred uh, black people from testifying against white people in court at that time. So he couldn't even sue the guys or even put them in prison because of the thing they did that was somewhat illegal but not even according to dc he also couldn't even seek it out in court because of dc's other laws and regulations so that was the reason they specifically lured him in that direction i think that kind of fleshes it out a bit more because when i'm watching it the first time i was like okay this seems almost too easy 
Like, they just got him like that, and that was it. Like, you know, it almost seemed like it went so fast. But I guess that maybe provides some context as to why they were able to capture him and take him just like that. So that was something that I figured out. And also, he wrote the book almost immediately after he escaped and became a big part of the abolitionist movement, but then disappeared essentially after the Civil War, and nobody really knows what he happens. He was part of the uh, the Underground Railroad. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And I, there was a... There was a st- I was reading about how he disappeared, and I think it was as part of the Underground Railroad. But then he showed up one time where he got drunk or something with his, and like he got he got mentioned because he got really drunk one time and disorderly, and then he kind of like disappeared yeah. from records again. And but they don't they don't really know when he died exactly, either. Exactly, yeah. That that that's what I was gonna mention as well. But what did you, what were your guys' biggest takeaways from this movie? Because it was insane to me. I just I think like for me the biggest thing was like. He was free, but regardless of, like, how free he was, he wasn't truly free. Like, he couldn't, A, they were able to take him so quickly and so easily because he couldn't produce his papers because he left his free papers because, like, they lured him out with, like, the premise of he has a job. Like, we're going to pay you all this money. You can keep all this money. We'll pay for travel. We'll send you back. All that. Like, and I just... I think more so the biggest thing for me was, like, the fact that he kept his spirit the entire time. Like, even though it seemed like he was kind of shaking a lot, he was able to still stay, like, that strong person, strong enough to, like, keep the will to have um, Brad Pitt's character, like, write a letter to his family or, like, to people who knew him to try to get him out of the plantation. I I agree with that. And I also think that this was, the movie itself was kind of one of the first big movies that went mainstream to really show the true horrors of slavery. That's Besides true. Roots, which is actually a TV series from like, was it the 80s, 90s? I don't know. I've seen Roots though. And but it that, is... that was like, even Roots isn't really that well known. Exactly. Because, because of arguably the subject that it depicted and the harshness of it, it kind of couldn't be mainstream because of that. For better or for worse, that's what happened because... You could argue even that just people did, it was an, such an uncomfortable movie or TV show for that matter. People didn't want to watch it. And this movie fits in the same grain, but it really did make it mainstream. However, it was apparently on limited release. I had forgotten that. Initially, when it came out, it, it did have a limited release, which I honestly wish it hadn't because I would have totally seen it in theaters if it was more publicized because, I mean, it's great. But. It was great. Also, uh, if you're able to, you should read Roots and 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave is just free on Google. Really? Yeah. You, you can just preview wow. it on Google. The whole book's there. Cool. I mean, it's public domain. It came out in 1853. Yeah. I was, I, that's about, I was about to say, yeah, at that point. Probably. At that point. At that point, is, is Solomon Northrop's estate even around to claim I mean, like, they're probably money There's on probably it. some people related to him still alive, but I don't think they're going to hold on yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to ask you guys a few questions. So, like, like, what did you guys think about, like, the beginning? Because I thought the beginning was, like, so disorienting, but also that's what I really liked about, like, the fact that it shows him as a slave. So you're thinking, okay, so we're going to start here, and then it flashes back. But I don't. I thought that was a flash forward, actually. I thought that was saying, oh, this is him, es- this is him escaped, and now we're going to see it. But then you realize, oh, wait a minute. I thought it was a dream. Ah. He, like, fell asleep. I was like, oh, he's dreaming about being yeah. free. But then he actually was free. I was like, whoa. Yeah. I wasn't sure for a second. Yeah, but and then it then it like fixed. It didn't fix itself. It like straightened itself yeah. out, so you knew the chronological. The order. scene where um, a guy like he's in the little shop with his family, and he's gonna buy the little bag for his wife who's taking the trip, and um, the guy is like staring at him from the outside. It made me think that this was after he escaped, 
because the dude was looking at him like he recognized him. Ah, yeah. Like, and like he walked in, like he was about to talk to him, and then um, a white guy came up to him and was like, "All right, come on now." Which a white guy who I assume is like his master or somebody. Yeah, that that was the implication that I got as well. But I don't know. I it just it looked like he had already escaped, and like this was his new life after this. They were like. He had freed him and his wife, and like now they're like settled down and they have kids, and he's being recognized. But I mean, it's well done for you to be able to think that and then be completely turned on your head. Yeah, I I really really liked the way they set that up because it was you know they threw you right into it, and then I you know I remember sitting there I'm like all right something's gonna go wrong, and like did you guys catch like that the two circus people were actually trying to kidnap him? Like, no. Really? No. I okay. literally thought that they were just thought, like eccentric I, yeah. circus people. Uh, so I caught it um when they're at they're at the restaurant afterwards and they're celebrating their week of performance and Solomon takes a sip and the guy immediately fills the glass right to the top again because they were trying to get him drunk. And I was like, "Oh no." I but, thought that they were just like, "Oh, we just drank all of our alcohol and he only took one sip. Let me give him more." Like I didn't I, even notice that. Probably, probably nah, looked man. away from the screen. I, w- I was like, "Ooh, this is this is not going well," and I had a bad feeling because I, you know, because the way they threw you right into the middle of him being a slave, you're like, "All right, this is not going to be a happy story that we gradually get there. Something's going on. Something's going to happen." And I was like, mm. "And they did that." And I was like, "Uh oh, this is it's a little suspect." But they were able to get this man drunk enough to where they could kidnap him, though. So I thought that they drugged him. I believe at some point, it, and uh, according to history, they also did drug him. Okay. I think it was like a sort of a combo type thing. They just wanted to completely like incapacitate him, which I guess that's one way to do it. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's just that seems to be what it said, at least based on my research that I found. But yeah, that because it's it, he definitely wasn't just drunk to the because that's a whole other. No, yeah, because like they literally had to like carry his limp body upstairs, and then when he finally came to, he was in a dark room. In chains and like undressed. Yeah. So that was that was crazy because then when he woke up, I thought it was a dream. I, that's what that's your idea. So I thought it was like a flash forward or something or like a flashback. I was like, oh, like now he's just back to rap. I'm like, oh wait, no, he just got kidnapped two minutes ago. And that was that. I thought that was really cool. Just way, the way the story is crafted and the way they set it up with the back and the forth, and I really like it. I also like the fact that. In a way, even though it is 12 years, they don't really, like, try and mark it. They, like, just let you watch it, which I kind of wish there had been more indication of time passed. Because at the end of the movie, I was like, has it been 12 years? Like, I was kind of, like, skeptical. Because I like that it didn't show the time. That's that, I just couldn't tell, so I couldn't tell where we were. No, yeah, is, I totally didn't have a timeline throughout the entire yeah. movie. Which maybe it would, I don't, I, like, I didn't want it to be so rigid to a timeline, but I would have, like, you know, maybe one or two things to indicate but it. But think about it. Solomon doesn't have any access to calendars. That's true. Doesn't have any access to anything like that. He just sees he does he's not you don't he's not marking any of the days or anything. So it's just melting together. So that's it's that kind of yeah, that's a good that point. That is a good point. And if if Steve McQueen had that in mind when I feel like he the probably story, did. that's I think that's a very so I feel like I feel like right. someone was probably like, You should mark down yeah. the years and stuff. Because you could probably be like, in eighteen uh eighteen uh whatever, he moved to uh Michael or uh, Michael Fassbender's plantation yeah, or whatever. Eps, which that that was crazy. But I want to ask you guys a couple more things that I noticed when I was watching the movie. Um, did you guys like see like the moral dilemma that they posed towards the audience a bit with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character? Like, because I found something when you're watching movies like this, right? Like movies about just, you know, like 
incredibly oppressive movies, like where, you know, like the white slave owners, like movies with Nazis in them. Like those movies where these are morally awful individuals, right? Movies can sometimes pose you the question of, like, you know, you're like, all these people are so awful, so you kind of like this lesser evil type character. And I think they point this out to you because as I'm watching, I'm thinking, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is decent. But, like, he's still a slave owner. He's still awful. But, like, by comparison to everybody else, you're kind of, like, made to pause. And even Solomon's character says that directly to the character of Eliza in, in the movie to where I'm, like, thinking, okay, am I missing the point? But then Steve McQueen makes it direct to where he says, Solomon says... Um, Master Ford is a decent man and Eliza just snaps and is like he's he's a decent man that owns slaves and he like pauses for a second and I thought that's interesting because in the grand scheme of things he is probably the of all of the awful white characters in the movie other than Solomon's friend I mean Benedict Cumberbatch and Brad Pitt well other than Solomon's friend and, and Brad Pitt Benedict Cumberbatch is probably the only other half decent person in that movie and it kind of brings you the pause of like do you root for him? Do you want him to keep some? Like, what's the deal? And I found that to be an odd question that they posed, but I thought it was an interesting one because it also points to the fact that not everybody was Michael Fassbender's character at the time. Of course, there were an incredible amount of awful people like Epps just who were completely insane, but there was these sort of Master Ford type characters that sort of like didn't toe the line, obviously, but it was an odd debate because they posed that question to you and then even Solomon says it directly to you anyway. And I just thought that was an interesting point. I don't know what your all thoughts um, on that are. They like when we are first introduced to Benedict Cumberbatch's uh character, like that's what you get because you know he doesn't want to separate yeah the mother from her children, and like he wants to he wants to buy the mother and both her children. And you're like, oh, that's really nice. Like, okay, he wants to buy all three of these slaves together yeah, as yep. a family. <laughs> like, oh, how sweet. But like. He's buying slaves. I was about to say, yeah, it's it's just because again, you like you even have it directly contrasted with the guy who's selling them, Paul Giamatti's character, who literally Benedict Cumberbatch says, "Have some sentimentality," and Paul Giamatti says, "The only sentimentality I have is by coin." And I'm like, "Oh, that's like he's objectively awful," and Benedict Cumberbatch, by comparison, looks decent. But that's a good point. It's like, oh, he wants to, you know, keep the this family together so they can be oppressed permanently together. Like, there's not, yeah. it's not a win. Like, it's. The only win it's an it's I think it's an unfortunate reality that that was kind of maybe the outlook that slaves had where that was like a good moment would be keeping your family together in this awful environment. And I think that maybe puts in perspective because that's the only sort of not joy, but like that's the only what's the word trying to think of the word. No, I can't I can't think of the word. It brings you some sort of peace. I think that that would be if anything, it would be like. Oh, okay. At least I know where they are. At least I can nurture them the best way I can, even if we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to nurture them under oppression. Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's just. But also, like, so his wife, when um the mother is brought to the plantation. Oh yeah. And she's like screaming and crying. He's like, oh, it's her problem. She got separated from her kids. She'll get over it. Like that's the first thing she says, and like. The wife is objectively worse than he is. But at the same time, it's like, is she really? Yeah, no, it, it there's it poses a lot of different questions to you. And that's what I really like about it is that it doesn't it doesn't paint it as such a, you know, 
black and white issue of everybody was bad and they're all objectively eps, right? Because, you know, nobody likes Michael Fassbender's character in the movie. They like his performance probably because it's really good, but, like, he's objectively an awful dude. And there's not a question about that, right? But this movie, rather than just going that route, likes to sort of, you know, bring it back and forth and make you figure out, all right, who do I dislike more? Like, who is really the number one worst person? Because I remember, you know, at the beginning... um, Epps is treating Solomon horribly and his wife like tr- sort of treats him nice like oh maybe his wife is not so bad and then he, then she just throws that bottle at Lapita Nyong'o's character and you're like what the heck is happening I'm not gonna lie that made me laugh that was just like a weird <laughs> it was just so she just out picked of the up, blue she picked up a bottle and just threw it at her I was like what I thought she was uh, gonna <laughs> smash it on her head and she just you just threw it. Just I was that, it. Like, yeah. it was like an uncomfortable laugh. I was like, what like, just no, happened? It was just so like, it was like, you know, you had a double take. You're like, what in the world? Just, did I miss something? Yeah. And, and then when she clawed her in the face, like, oh my she Lord. just like walked over to her and just straight down her cheek hard enough to like leave scars. I was like, I'm so confused. That lady to, like, was crazy. No, she hated Patsy so Which, much. In, in her defense, I guess her husband clearly had some sort of, um, Attraction to Patsy, which is yeah, so had, uncomfortable. Yeah, affairs with her. It's so, yeah. it's so uncomfortable. But it's like, it's almost like he loved Patsy. It, it was in like odd. his own way, and like he was so proud of her. Like when she picked the most cotton, he's yeah. like, "That's my girl. Let me appreciate my girl for picking the most cotton." Like, uh, uh, what? It was, it was so, ugh. it, it was so bad. And I think it was part of the fact that he had like this kind of god complex where like, you know, oh yeah. He like he he I mean, you even I think another point that I really liked is do you remember when Benedict Cumberbatch's character Master Ford is like reading scripture to the uh slaves and like seems like oh he's just reading normal scripture. It's like okay, I guess. And then it immediately contrasts with Epps reading scripture, but the scripture that Epps reads, he just twisted around to say that slaves need to be obedient. I thought that was really interesting to yeah, show. Yeah, and how slave met like Slave owners and slave masters are their gods. Yeah, exactly. They're, like, doing God's work and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting because I also think that's something that people did. You know, because, like, I mean, that's one 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 way to get people to believe your ideology is to preach that it's the word of God or that God is divinely inspiring you. And I think that was a really interesting way of showing that and also showing how there's two contrasts between one guy just reading it to read it and then Epps who's weaponizing it to signify that he is supreme. I uh, So I just wrote, like, a paper on a poem, which was pretty much about the contradictory between, like, religion and slavery and how, like, all of these Christians were so hypocritical by owning slaves, Mm -hmm. but in their head, like, they would read scripture about, like, slavery and, like, the slavery of, like, like, Moses and let my people go and all of that stuff, and they were like, oh, that's that's bad. I'm so glad that they're free. And then they literally just... Oppress people. Yeah, no, it was it was a whole walking contradiction there for a while, and I think you even get it later when Brad Pitt's character just directly says, "Not in the eyes of God are these people unequal." Like he just says it to him, which I personally, I don't know about you guys, I had a bit of an issue with that scene just because it was like so on the nose. Like you know, it wasn't like a casual conversation of, "Oh, Brad Pitt clearly disagrees with Michael Fassbender's character." It was, "Oh, like he just directly was like, you're in trouble. Like this is all, this is all gonna come down, and you're gonna, you know, f- face the wrath of God because this it was like almost like, okay, we get it. We all know that this is bad, and that Epps is gonna get what's coming to him, obviously. But it was like almost so direct. But what like, else would Brad Pitt have said to him to know. get through to? Like if if he just like that's the only thing that could have gotten through to Epps at all, even though it didn't. If he was just like, hey, these guys, uh, slaves are actually equal to us. If he just said that, Epps would have been like, shut up, I have my Bible here. 
And the, okay, it, that that's fair. That's fair. It was just it was just the fact that it was like a three minute scene of just a monologue of him just like saying how bad slavery was, and I was like, okay, well, like we know that. But like, like it felt like it was a bit direct. But Epps doesn't. That's true. That's true. But at this point, I mean, I feel like. But it was important. For, it was Russell's important for, for his Epps. character to say it though. Like that, that's fair. In like that moment, for him to say it as the person who he was, he was like paying off his debt. He was working, like alongside slaves. But he was being treated differently, like he was being offered breaks and water and food and all sorts of stuff. And like for him to say that, it it was important to his character specifically. That's fair. I it just seemed like it was a bit like like there was a point where I was like, okay, like we get it, and he just kept going. I was like, okay. But again, I again I liked the character and every other scene after that I really liked, especially the scene that he had with Solomon later where Solomon explained his entire story. But um I just want to ask you guys, like, what was your scene that, like, I don't want to say favorite scene, almost the scene that stood out, because most of the scenes that I liked the most are also the most uncomfortable. The scene so. from where he beat Tibbets, I really like that, where he was crying. That was, like, cathartic for me. Oh, yeah, Paul Dano's in it, too. I forgot. I forgot but then that. the scene, the best cinematic scenes when he's hanging, and then everybody just goes about their day. That, the, that yes, was Yes, I was going to say that was probably, like, the scene that stood out to me the most. Like, because, so, the slaver was there, right? And he was like, I'm going to protect you if you're on the plantation. That's fine. And then he did, but he just left him there. Because he knew he wasn't going to die. Yeah, but, like, ha- he did and he didn't, though. Because he only like, protected him because he was Mr. Ford's property. Yeah. Not because yeah, no, he saw him as a man or that, anything. That, that, that's, but that, he, but that's like, a good point. I feel like, yes, I know, yeah. But I feel like he, A, could have cut him down, and B, like, the man was literally, like, standing on his tiptoes in mud. But no, but the thing is, he left him up because he agreed with Tibbets. Okay. But he was like, this is my job to protect Mr. Ford's property, and I'm not going to lose my job. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna save him from Tibbets, but I'm not going to cut him down. I was about to say, because again, uh, okay. he, he's doing it purely from a money person. He's not a good guy in any in any context. And I think- Because then he stands from the porch and watches yeah, him stay yeah. there for hours. Because when I, I walked the first time, I was like, okay, that I'm kind of confused by his motivations, but yeah, that was essentially that the idea. Um- Dang, I don't know what. There's so many scenes in this movie that really stuck to me that were like just. I think the first scene when um, when Solomon is captured and then the guy comes in and just beats him to the point of breaking the plank. That was crazy to me because I was like, I mean, it just went from zero to a million like that. Like it went straight there, and it was just. That's when you knew, okay, this this movie is gonna mean business. And then the scene uh with Paul Giamatti selling the slaves. That scene was just like. I don't even know how to describe it. It was just crazy. And he was, like, just so awful and, like, just, like, it was just so jarring because you also know that that's how it actually happened, you know? That's, like, what occurred. And it's just, that scene really was like, okay, this, I see where this movie's going. And, of course, I mean, the scene that Lupita Nyong'o won the Oscar for when she was whipped at the end because that's, I mean, with the soap, that scene is just, that I don't is. know. It's an otherworldly scene, and I mean, no, she deserved the Oscar the second she did that scene completely. But okay, when Solomon got picked up when his friend came to get him, the scene between him and Patsy, mm-hmm. where like she runs after him, they hug, and it's like he wants to take her with him, like he wants to save her. Because she asked him to kill her, to kill her, and he didn't. And then she got brutally beaten, and assaulted, and raped, 
for so long after that. And he had to watch that and experience that with her. Like he wanted to save her, but he had to leave her. I think that scene was probably my favorite scene. I did air quotes. You can't see that. But like my favorite scene, just because like there was so much emotion in like that small interaction. I don't know. It was like really powerful to me at least. Yeah. That, I mean, I mean, every, honestly, every scene with Patsy was just top of the line. I mean, she didn't even have a line for like the first nine minutes of screen time. She just sat there like she was the time she was humming and just so or making the uh, little dolls like that. Just what a movie. Honestly, I wish it was longer. This is the one movie I've ever seen where I came out of and thinking could it have not been two hours and 40 minutes because I would have I would have watched all of it just as much. I mean, I could have watched 30 more minutes of screen time of those characters and that story because that's just, I mean, it's incredible. And if anybody listening has not seen this movie before, I mean, you got to watch it. It's kind of like that bucket list type movie because it's, it's an incredible story and it's also just executed perfectly. But Anything else to say before we move on to the next movie, either of you? I'm done. to move on I'm to the next good. one. Next movie we will be touching on is Malcolm X, directed by Spike Lee, starring Denzel Washington, Angela Bassett. Spike Lee has a role in it. I don't know why I put him in starring because he's only in like maybe 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, he's about to say it in the beginning. Who else would who else would be starring? Um, who, who played, played Elijah Muhammad? I can't remember who played and Elijah And he played Muhammad. Baines. Eh, yeah, I guess Baines. Baines isn't real. Spoiler alert, y'all. Baines is not that a real person. That was annoying. Person. I was hoping he was real because I nope. hated his character Baines is so not real. much. Ah. Strictly for the plot. That's the, fair, uh, though, because the dude who taught him how to... The one the that taught him about Islam in prison and then became second-hand man to Elijah. And then also, you know, oh. turned on Malcolm. Yeah. Not real. Like, yeah. Really? Would you like to learn about the actual history? He's more like an amalgamation, maybe, of characters, no. if that's the right word. I mean, I guess. But no, like, in prison, Malcolm's brother, yeah. it does not touch on his siblings after the scenes where they're kids. It does not show any of his siblings. His brother comes to visit him in prison, and he tells him about Islam, and then... Malcolm starts sending letters to Elijah Muhammad, and then he starts. Then he converts to Islam himself. There's no guy in prison that like is his right is like his wingman that does it for him or helps him. None of that happens. And also, they did not kneel in the nation of Islam to pray, and they did not speak Arabic to pray. Really? That was that Malcolm did that for the first time when he went to on his Hajj to Mecca. Makes that makes sense why that would be his first time. That's interesting. Um. I, I, or they I, didn't do it enough that Malcolm was familiar with it, at yeah, least. I'm not going to speak. Sense. I'm not familiar 100% with the Nation of Islam's that makes teachings. Sense. But yeah, I would say Baines served as sort of, you know, because whenever historical movies have to deal with, like, you know, a lot of history and they've got a lot of different characters, you like just to smash them all together. Like, the movie Patriot's Day, for example, I don't know if you guys have Is seen it. the one with Ma- Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, like, and it's about the Boston bombing, and Mark Wahlberg plays a character in all of it. He's literally just based on stories of each individual person just put together because it's easier to follow one guy than to follow three, or it's easier for Malcolm to learn everything from one guy and then be betrayed by one guy than to learn from one, meet another, get betrayed by a third, because then you're like, all right, this is kind of disjointed. So I understand why they did it, and I mean, it worked because I did not like Baines, but clearly it worked. Do y'all have any just off the just first thoughts about the film before I get some of the topics we have? Let me, let me check my notes. That was the first one I watched, so I got to go back and see three and a half hour movie. It is. Ooh. It's long. <laughs> it's a beast. So, it I watched eight. it in like three parts. That's 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 reasonable. I stopped it and I picked it up the next day because I'd already seen it, it twice. It is a long, long movie, and it, I mean, you know, it covers. It's a lot of material. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it could have been a lot longer oh, if yeah, they no, had kept it, it accurate to his life. It would have been a lot, lot it, longer. It, de- it definitely could have. Um. It could have been like a mini series. We're lucky Davis didn't do this movie. 
I mean, I, I could have made it like you could probably make this a five hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you could have. Well, I don't know. There, there's a lot of like, um, there were a couple scenes to me where I was like, all right, there was like stuff that just went a bit long, even. So like, you know, it, it could have maybe been five hours. Like that was what a, scene? I mean, like, okay, for example, like the dancing scene at the bar at the beginning. Like you don't even know, you don't even know. There's a whole chapter devoted to that in the book. Seriously? Talks about how great he was at dancing and how he how he went to so many dances because okay. he used to be a shoe shiner in that place and then he'd go watch them dance and Fair he enough. started dancing himself. Fair enough. But that scene, for example, like I get it and it was like fun, but it also drew, it dragged on like a minute or two too long, which again doesn't matter because it's a, in the end it's a three hour and twenty minute movie. I'm not gonna you know care about that, but in the grand because everything else was worth it. Like every other scene had a purpose and had a point, you know. Because for a time, you know, he's doing this the speech montage, and you're like, okay, what's the point of this speech montage? Because I did not know much about the man Malcolm X going in this movie. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know much. I want to watch a movie. I want to watch a movie as fresh as I could and going without any preconceived notions, which I think sometimes maybe helps in the in this case. And I'm watching. I'm thinking, okay, what's the point of the speech montage other than to be really cool and show you that he's the best speaker of all time? But then as you watch <laughs> it you realize, oh, wait, this is in order for us to figure out what he thought so we can see the change and the progression. Because, Demai, you said you watched it in three parts. This movie is perfectly in three parts. You know, you've got yeah. everything before prison, then you got the prison, prison, the conversion, the becoming the face of the nation, and then him discovering the not-so-great things about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, which then switches him to just calling him Elijah Muhammad, which is like, oh. Um, and then that, like, it, it fits... Perfectly in the three parts, and not a minute is wasted. So, that was my biggest takeaway: is that every minute counts in some regard. And you, uh, actually, y- y'all go ahead. Y'all say something. Do you have anything else? Do you have go any? Ahead. I well, do you have one, any questions about Malcolm? Since one, I'm, I'm, I, I know way too much about Malcolm <laughs> clearly, X. Clearly. So if you have any questions um, about him, I, okay, I want to ask you, Davis, because I came out of this movie ask wondering this. So, how accurate is the? Um, personality and ideological shift that he has at the end. Like, how, like, did he really get that? Because, like, you notice how much more mellowed out he is. Mellowed out seems like the wrong word, but, he like... He was not mellowed out, but he had completely different beliefs. Like, but in the movie, he seems, they use him being mellowed out to explain it a bit more. Because, like, do you, like, did you notice that in the movie? Yes, I did. Okay. I mean, he, he did calm down more. He wasn't saying all whites are devils like, like he yeah. was taught in the Nation of Islam. But there are stories, if you read the book in the epilogue written by Alex Haley after Malcolm was assassinated, it tells... Stories about Alex Haley, who also wrote Roots, by the way. Okay. Wow. Interesting fun fact. He's a great writer. Sounds like it. And uh, it tells stories about how he would go with Malcolm. Malcolm would invite him everywhere so that, like he could get insights about the book, about the autobiography. And there was one story he told about how they're driving. They're driving somewhere, and Malcolm is stopped on like at a red light. And a white guy pulls up to him next in the car, and he goes, he's like, hey, Malcolm, I love what you're doing. And Malcolm says, I wish we could have a whole sec just for people that support us. So we could have. This was when he was in the Nation of Islam. He was not supposed to be saying this, but he said he wanted to have people that supported white people that supported him in their own like thing to help him. So he obviously, even in the nation, yeah. he dissented from Elijah, just not publicly. So that's interesting. So what that tells me is that, and I, I, that, that's a cool story in its own right. Um, but I think not that, a sect, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, like yeah. just an organization. No, I, know, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But that okay. that tells me that. Uh, Spike's creative license, which I think he took good creative license in this movie and made it much more dramatic and much more enthralling. Because again, you know, again, Malcolm X already lived an insane life as we know, and it was already dramatic enough and Spike ramped it up to an 11 to really make the movie even that much better. Um, The creative license is the particular scene when he's walking to give a speech at um, some college, right? And he's walking with his uh, posse and he's, this girl walks up to him. That happened. Yeah. So that did happen. That did happen. But then that doesn't that directly contradict 
um, what he says to the guy in the car? Well, he he was in public. Okay, okay, okay. That that makes sense then. But I mean, he he obviously was still. That might have been after that. Right. I'm not, I don't have the exact timeline. I, I didn't know if that scene had happened. But he after he near the end of his life, he literally said that moment. I regret that that I told her okay. nothing. I could do Interesting. nothing. Interesting. Okay. I, I I that scene really stuck stuck out to me because you know. You didn't need that scene because that girl didn't show up again, but that scene really sets up who he is. But if you're looking shift. at it from Malcolm's perspective and you have a college girl walk up to you and says, how can I help? What are you going like, to tell her to do? That's fair. That's I'm not fair. saying he was right in saying that, but like from Malcolm's Nation of Islam-centric perspective, yeah. that's no, yeah, like no, the that, only answer he could give. Yeah, yeah that, that's entirely fair. But I mean, when they put this scene in the movie, you're, you're supposed to be like, okay, that's cold. And that's it how was they, cold. That's how they directed it. And he felt bad. He yeah. was really, no, he yeah, was really I, sad about I, that. He said it, in the book, he was like, "I wish I had the book with me here. I'd read the quote. I had it highlighted and everything." He was like, "If I could find he was that." He's out here doing the annotations, writing in the I margins. I did. I would like at the end of chapters, I'd write notes. <laughs> I like it. Hop off me, Alex. I, I'm not. Hey, 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 it was hey, in hey, the near in the book. He's like, "If I could find that girl again, I would say I was sorry and like get her get let her help somehow." Cool. But he obviously didn't find that girl. I was about to say yeah. I mean, yeah. there's one random girl in a country of 200 million people, so you know, or not 200 million at the time, but. Yeah, something like that. I feel like it was right. Oh, not. Well, right. I'm going to Google it. I want to see what the population uh, was at 1960. Oh, Any thoughts over there, Demaya? I'm just, you know. Okay. Fair enough. So I have, so I, uh, we already went over the portrayal of, or the portrayal of the nation of Islam. Malcolm's changed. already went over that. Uh, do you have any personal thoughts on Malcolm? If, y'all, if you don't want to share, have, you don't have to. I have always adored Malcolm X as far as, like, when I learned about him, I was really, really, like, enthralled with him as a person. Um, and, like, with that, I had to, like, learn about his history and, like, learn about, like, things in his history that are, like, a little bad, like, a little, uh, like, I don't know. But, like, I've always found that he's, A, a great speaker, just, like, a honest-to-God true leader. Um, his speeches are great. Sometimes I just listen to him. His speeches were insane. I mean, he is so beyond talented. If you got an and, hour to listen and, to, listen to the Ballad of the Bullet. And I'll say this: I think I, you know, I think Denzel really brought it because in the movie, I mean, you're like, wow, he really is, and it's not just because of the lines, because Denzel brings 110. percent But that's just which Alex, if you would have watched Judas and the Black Messiah, you would have known that Fred Hampton was a incredible speaker as well. Like just not as good as Malcolm, but he was really he great. He was really he was, really he was like 19 doing speeches though. So so you can make the argument he, that he if Fred had grown up to yeah, Malcolm's to reach, age, he might have surpassed Malcolm to reach X. the prime per se. Yeah, I think that's fair. But as as I said, I've always like really loved Malcolm X. Um, and I think that it's really interesting how Malcolm X and Martin Luther King are like pinned against each other. Like especially like you know how everything was like over the summer with protests and riots and things like that. People were like. No, 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 don't choose Malcolm X's path. Choose Martin's path. And it's like, you are aware that they are the exact same path. Like, they, they're parallel. They both get you to, like, the same direction. Um, like, I just thought it was cool that he was such a dynamic individual. Like, he was, he was really never one-sided. There was always something more to him. There was always more to his history and more to, like, what he wanted to do in life. Yeah, that was good. And I, and I, I thought th- you were going to say something I th- else. I think, the, for me, this movie just is, honestly, it's tragic because you, as you see the movie, the way that Lee depicts it is that, you know, Malcolm is sort of reaching his, not, his A game seems like the wrong phrasing, but like, you know, this progression, you're saying like, okay, this is probably going to be Malcolm at like his very no, best. No, it would have been because he and, was going to go to yeah, the UN. Exactly. And then, exactly. 
all that. And he had a lot of stuff ahead of him. It's just tragic because, you know, you don't know what the world would be like if, you know, if he had not been assassinated. Because I even brought up, and I told Davis this when I was texting him, I'm like, you know, the Nation of Islam became the public face of the religion of Islam in America. Like, that's what, when people thought of it, that's what they saw. And as you learn in this movie and as you learn in research, the Nation of Islam was, should not have been the public face of that religion, I don't think, based on the things that you heard about Elijah Muhammad and the things you heard about other guys in the past. And I think it's interesting to wonder how different the, the perspective of most American citizens would be if Malcolm X, Malcolm X had, you know, continued to live out his life as he was. Because, again, you know, those 15 years, because once he went down, you know, the nation almost didn't have opposition from within because he was like the big opposition against him because he left them, right? And he contradicted a lot of what they said. And afterwards, it was just, you know, the nation kept going and kept on its same path and I think may have really set up a lot of negative opinions in the U.S. because of how they functioned and a lot of the flaws within the nation. So I think that's just an interesting point in of itself. And again, I think it really is tragic because, again, like, this movie builds up to where you're like, oh, man, he's really about to reach it, and then it just ends, and he gets horribly killed. Like, I, was, would he get shot that many times? Yes. Good Lord. You know, and right after that, they had a dance scheduled, so they just took all the chairs out, and then they had a dance in the Audubon Ballroom. Oh, my God. The police <sighs> did nothing. You, I was watching, there's a documentary called what Who Killed Malcolm X, world? and the podium that he was at, when he was shot, was just put in the basement, and they found it for the for the interview or for the for the for the documentary. What did they do with the stage that's just like covered in blood and bullets? They cleaned at that it. Point. Lord have mercy. They cleaned it. You can see the there's world? a picture. You can see the bullet holes, and they circled them, and they just had the dance later on. I guess it was maybe the next day or later <laughs> what? that day. What yeah. on earth? Okay. The police did nothing to review it. They bizarre. they arrested two people that were innocent, and the one person that they caught who was played by Giancarlo Esposito in the movie. In a short role, but John Carlos is always great. The one that got shot, he's the only one that com- got convicted that actually was part of it. What in the world? Interesting tidbit. That's bizarre. <laughs> that- and I also read Alex a quote yesterday that there was like an affidavit that they got from a former cop that the cop said that he was, uh, he was like enticing Malcolm's security team to get arrested so there would be no security detail for the Audubon ballroom. Oh, dear. Well, that's not great. I was kind of surprised at how easy it was for like because like the guy who was like the face of like him getting shot like his daughter dropped her doll you remember that mm-hmm. and he like walks up and he picks it up and he goes here you go my beautiful brown sister and he hands her the doll and she's like thanks and like his wife is standing there and then they walk to the front and like you can see it in his face that he's about to make a really really big issue for these people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he, like, I wonder why they didn't see it. I guess, like, it seems obvious. Maybe it's because it's a film, you know? So, like, yeah, no. to, to us, it's super obvious. Like, oh my gosh, like, he's going to shoot him. But I would say that's the creative license on Spike Lee's part because, again, yeah, you, all, you, you, all, you also see the guys building the, or getting their weapons ready beforehand. And I think, you know, that's like, that's like the sort of creative license of, you know, just to like, oh, man, it's about to go down. You know, characters always make more unnatural expressions in movies than they do in real life. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a case, perhaps, because, you know, I just I feel like that was just to be like, all right, guys, strap in. It's about to be crazy. And this is about to be a crazy ending, which it was. And I really like how the beginning sort of paralleled the end 
of of sorts because you know the beginning is in the, is this, it's his speech as the American flag burns, which is really cool by the way. It burns into the X. I really like that. In the end, you know, you got the black and white. Then you've got um, the speech, which was that whole speech by Mandela. Wasn't it a speech by somebody then also Mandela? It was Bill Weathers. Bill, oh, right. no, no, it was not Bill Weathers. Oh my no, God, no, it's no, a singer. Yeah, I must say that's. Uh, it was Ozzy Davis. I don't right, want to say okay. Bill Weathers at Ozzie all. Ozzy Davis did the did the speech, <laughs> and then he did the. He also spoke at Malcolm X's funeral in real life. Ah, I see. So okay, they got okay, him okay, to cool, do that. Cool, that's cool. And when then, he's like, "Did you know Malcolm? Did you talk to him?" And then it had then it had Nelson Mandela yeah. after the "I am Malcolm which, X," which that was really cool as well. That was cool. Um, so yeah, I really liked how those two paralleled them, each other, and also in their chaos. You know, the movie throws you right into it, and then the ending also is like you know just unrelenting until the end. But I mean, and the the lead up to that assassination scene has one of the like the great, like oh, I'm not gonna say great, like one of the one of the iconic dolly or like dolly shots. That's like the one that like really. Wait, is it the I was one, gonna is it the, one the where he, scene where he's like stagnant. Yeah, but, like, where he, he he's, he's not walking, but he's just like moving. He's like floating. Oh yeah, that's that's that a was cool. Dolly shot. That was really cool. I like Spike that. Lee. I don't know if he invented it, but he was one of the people that really uses it a lot. I I really really liked that as well. I mean, honestly, the only problem I even have with this movie is like the beginning is a bit disjointed, and you kind of like can't figure out what's going on in the first act. Like I don't know how you guys felt about that, but at the beginning, I'm like like Laura, for example, the character of Laura. Like she's sort of a she's supposed to be a representation of who Malcolm is then, just to like emphasize his transition, because you know Malcolm is obviously going after the white lady whose name I cannot remember. I can't remember her name. I thought it was Laura. Sophia. No, 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 Laura. No, 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 it was Sophia. Sophia. It Laura, Sophia. Laura. Laura is the uh, black girl that he's oh, also yeah, yeah, with. Oh yeah, yeah, But it's like you kind of can't. Well, she's out. real. No, I, I'm I'm sure she is. <laughs> she was. Thanks, Davis. Saying but her. like. The way it's depicted, like, it just jumps around and you can't really figure out, like, what their relationship is and what's going on. And I get we're supposed to infer, but it was honestly kind of jarring. It settles down and really goes cohesively the rest of the way. Other than Malcolm and Angela Bassett's character, like, getting married. Like, it seemed like they talked one time, then they got married. Is that yeah, how that it, actually happened? No, I mean, they talked more than that. I mean, like, it took, it took like, probably, like, a few months. Yeah. Or, like, almost a year for them to get married. I would have liked a bit more of that just because it seemed like a bit of a jump. But other than that... Everything yeah, I was really more. confused. Yeah. But he did exactly. actually call on the phone. Like the way he called her and just was like, "You want to get married?" And she was like, "Yep." And I was like, "That's how it happened." Oh, fair enough. But in the movie, it was like, yeah, exactly. yeah, they had like they had lunch one time, and he was just like, "I'm gonna marry this girl." Yeah, that, that's that, how it is. Sometimes I think it actually might have been a lot sooner than a few months, but still, but even they then, did more it was, stuff. It was rushed to the point where I was like, "Just give us a scene or two. You're already something, a something to know that the relationship had substance. Like it's already a three hour and twenty minute movie. Push it to three thirty and give us a couple, <laughs> give us nine more minutes of them. And I'm that's sure there's fine. probably, I'm pretty sure there's probably a few deleted scenes. No, I mean, out there no, I mean yeah, find. but I feel like there's scenes that you delete and there's scenes that like that. It really made it a bit jarring because you know. Afterwards, of course, they have more scenes together, especially the scene when she and Malcolm talk about the nation, which is really good. And, like, you buy it because Angela Bassett's great, Denzel Washington's great, their characters are great, it works out. But you you sort of have to, like, put the piece together after the fact. Like, oh, they're married and they love each other because we see them currently married, not because we believe that he would actually call her on the phone and marry after one conversation. I wish there had just been a bit more on that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Because especially in a three-hour and twenty-minute movie, I'd like everything to be, you know, if you're doing three-hour and twenty minutes, I want everything to make sense. You shouldn't be almost out of time type feel, you know. So last thing, yes, I do know what you mean. No, but the last thing we have, I have on here, Ooh. is what is Malcolm's legacy, and what should it be? I think, um, just. Again, I can't speak on everything because, again, the majority of my information is coming from this movie, regrettably. I, I've done, I did some research outside of it, but the majority of what I know is um, 
from the movie. And I would say that the legacy should be about the fact that, you know, he should not be some vilified character. Um, I think there are, there are parts specifically within the nation where, again, we can say that what he did and said at times was wrong. That's okay because you can acknowledge that he, for one example, changed and also said a lot of very positive things. And I feel like you can't just, you know, say he's awful because of some of the things he said in the nation, like the all whites are devil thing, which I think you're supposed to dislike that because he even goes out of his way to say that it was wrong. And I think some people focus on that too much, and I think that's a problem because, you know, he, as, as you said, Demai, he's not so different from Martin Luther King. Like, Martin Luther King is not this peaceful, you know, monk and Malcolm X being a revolutionary that wants to burn the country down. Like, that's not... <laughs> but that's what people will say. And they're that's two not, sides of the same exactly, coin. Exactly, and they're not... Like, they're not that's that... That's what he says on the dock. They're not that different, and I think it's annoying that some people will, like, paint them as that because, like, Malcolm is a lot closer to Martin Luther King Jr. than people will say. Maybe his journey to get there was a bit different, including the entire thing with the nation, but... As you see and as you know, he got to that point, and he was on that point. And I think it's sort of an unfair depiction that some people will say where they just paint it, you know, very black and white when it's not. But that's just my two cents. Um, so I guess for me, like, his legacy, like, what do I think Malcolm should be remembered as? Like, a revolutionary who became a revolutionary from a difficult path. Like, Malcolm struggled and struggled and struggled until he found his way. And when he finally did, he wanted to make the world a better place for people like him, people like me. Like, he was working for the people. And in the beginning, like, he was using people, stealing from people. Like, he didn't care. But then as he, like, got ready and prepared to die, he was prepared to die. Like, he knew he was going to die. But, like, as he got to that point, he was willing to die for the people. And, like, I think that that should be, like, the legacy that he leaves. And I think um, among people who are, like, willing to learn more and willing to read more and willing to listen more about Malcolm X, like, that's the legacy that he does leave. Yeah. Anything else about this movie? What about you, Davis? You're kind of just directing the conversation. I want to get some of your thoughts. Oh, you want to know my you thoughts? You do on not Malcolm X? want to know Davis' thoughts on Malcolm X. Please don't open that can. Please don't. I mean, I mean, I'm just you know, I, you know, Davis. Like, you can be brief. No, no, we cannot. I can't. <laughs> okay, well, in that, in that case, Look, then if I really like Malcolm X. I've read and listened to, I'd say probably eighty percent of everything he's had a hand in. Most of his eighty percent is a high number. Everything that I'm able to, at least, fair. A lot, a lot more than the average person has about Malcolm X. How about that? He's not the average Joe. Yeah, not when it comes to Malcolm. Uh, it's a great movie. I love the movie. I think uh, how Malcolm is taught and not taught in schools today is. I did a project on this history last year. Is not cool to me. I'll just say not cool because he's taught as uh. A violent terrorist is like if you're even yes. taught about him. That's how, that's what that's what he is. That's what you're taught he is. But he's not at all. Which is the same thing with the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Like when you learn about it, it's like black terrorist. That's all it is. Like and like it's such a weird and brief description of the party and of Malcolm. And then it's like they use like direct juxta- juxtaposition. Like there's a whole thing on Martin Luther King and like how peaceful he was and like that's why people like 
use MLK quotes to like denounce protests and like riots and stuff. And it's like, uh, how, how do you like connect the two? And it's because like you don't get the entirety of the history, which African-American history and like civil rights history is just not taught very well in schools. And it's like disgusting, honestly, but you know, different topic. But yeah, that's, so that's it for Malcolm X. Don't have anything else to say. Alex, you okay over there? Uh, no, I'm just uh, laughing inside my song. Okay. The last movie we have is Do the Right Thing. Ah, yes. I'm going to, I say we try to get through the, the first three points quicker about this, but it was directed by Spike Lee, another Spike Lee movie, and it's starring Spike Lee, who is in the role of Mookie, uh, also has Danny Aiello, John Totoro, Giancarlo Esposito, and Bill Nunn as Radio Raheem. That's so, what it, he's in Spider Man. He is in Spider Man. Yes, he is one of the editors. I think he got significantly older in those uh, in those it's thirteen like, years. Yeah, it's almost like it was later yeah, but, in his life. You know what I mean, like <laughs> in, in, no, but like in Do the Right Thing, he looks like he's like twenty two, and then in, in Spider Man, he's got white hair, and I'm like, what happened? That's how it goes. Life, I, I guess. Being Radio Raheem, Raheem was too stressful, apparently. Yeah, uh, he got killed. So that, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so thoughts on that? This is kind of an eclectic film style for this movie. A lot of Dutch angles, a lot of cuts to. There's just the cut to people saying the slurs that was, in the movie. <laughs> that was alarming. <laughs> the on and the the first like five minutes is uh, Rosie Perez dancing to fight the power. Yeah, that was. I was like, all right. <laughs> a lot of very close ups to people's faces with yeah. the Dutch angles. It's it's a very strange film style, but I think it works amazingly. Yeah, I I will say I, I it was unique and I. You know, uniqueness is only so far as sometimes, you know, things try to be too unique and it's like, you know, you're, you're trying too hard almost. But this movie, I think it did it perfectly and I really enjoyed it. Honestly, my favorite unique aspect is, so do you guys recall in literature class learning about like um, old plays about how they would have a group called the Chorus, like in, in Hercules? Remember in Hercules, there's, they the, like yeah. there's the, but there, but the, the singing is what it's been shitted to, but the chorus was also just a commentary, oh, right? Yeah. And I really liked how the three guys in their lawn chairs served as a chorus. <laughs> they yeah. did. Like, they, they served because something would happen, and they would start debating stupid stuff or joking, but, like, they'd be talking about something important. It would get a little lost in it the was translation like, because they were funny, but they served the role of a chorus, I thought was really cool. It was, like, perfectly placed, like, comic relief. Yeah. And then, like, you went right back into just, like, really yeah. stressful situations. And I think, on top of Comic Relief, you know, they have important discussions, like, you know, yeah. like, they lay the groundwork of this scene that you'll have later, where they talk about the Korean store across the street, and how, like, wrong it is, and whatever, and they, like, you know, you're kind of confused, like, what's the debate, and, like, everyone, like, has an opinion, and it's interesting, because they're serving as a commentary on some of the events that are unfolding and that will unfold. And I thought that the, was really cool. The debate they're having, so people understand if they haven't seen it or they don't remember, is that they're saying that the Korean the Korean uh, family that owns the store, they say they just they just uh, immigrated here and they already have a store, but all the, the people of color that lived in this neighborhood don't have a store and they've lived here their whole lives. That's the that's like yeah. the debate they're having. Just so just to clarify. And it, it gets a bit lost in translation because some some of the things said about the Korean stoners is not ideal at points, but um, it is an interesting debate, and I think it's an interesting um, idea of using the chorus as or serving that role because that's not something you see often at all. Actually, I don't think there's many movies I've seen other than Hercules that does, and Hercules doesn't even do it properly. They just have people that sing an and, actual chorus, and I mean, and the songs are great. I love it, but like <laughs> that's not the official or original role. But I think it's cool. So something, when this movie first came out in 1989, 
it came to mixed reviews. A lot of people liked it, but there was a few critics that said stuff like, this movie would cause race riots. It's real stuff that one ri- critic wrote that. You can still read the review. It is up. Yeah. Some very uh, uh, poorly aged reviews, I can say. But this movie was controversial. Yeah, I mean, it, it deal, it's dealing with a very controversial topic, so it makes sense. That's, that's all I really had to say on that, unless yeah. y'all have anything to say. I mean... I think we got to ask the questions. I have one more thing before we get to the question. Uh, the, right. qu- the question will be good. ready to get to the question. The so, thing is, the question will deal with a lot of the movie anyway, so we'll be going through that yes. as well, essentially. So the next thing I have is love versus hate. You remember the scene with Radio Ahim where he has love versus hate, they're fighting, yeah. mm-hmm. always in tension. And then also have Malcolm versus MLK, two sides of the same coin, which is shown with Smiley throughout the movie where he has... Where he's the only person that can really understand the relationship between these two men, but he's unable to say it because yeah. he is mentally, uh, uh, Dis- ment- mentally uh, handicapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. yeah. That's what I say. That's just. But yeah, and he's trying to say that the same thing that Radio Raheem's saying, basically, not love and hate, but more like Malcolm and MLK. They are in. Then it has the quotes at the end of the movie to kind of show this that there are two sides of the same coin. Martin is. Uh, all about peace. Malcolm's about self-defense. So you can't have one without the other. And uh, I, that, that's I, really watering it down. Yeah. I, I was thinking the lover's hate thing was that sometimes it can, it can get a bit lost in translations and people will label things as hate when it's sort of love mm-hmm. manifesting itself. And that's kind of what I, but I guess I totally whiffed on that one. But I mean, you could probably, you can probably interpret it that way, but it's in the movie. What I took it as is that love versus hate, love wins sometimes, hate wins the other. Okay, as yeah. in like, yeah. Hate being racist and stuff that, like no, that. Yeah, that that because when you okay that that makes a lot more sense. I was kind of a bit lost there, but I appreciate the clarification. But all right, so do you have anything to say about the two sides of the same coin? Um, I think it's an interesting point. It was uh, I think it was cool that it, that it like essentially outside of the dance, it begins and like ends with Smiley and Malcolm and MLK because like I believe he's one of the first people that shows up in the movie. If I'm not yes, mistaken, yes, I think he is the first one besides Rosie uh, Perez yeah, dancing. Besides, besides the dancing, um, I thought I thought that was cool. I thought it was you know. I think it really was, it was almost kind of like, like, all right, if anybody missed the point of this movie, I'm just going to say it one last time so everybody understands what we're trying to say, which I get that because some people just... Well, some people don't even get yeah. it after that. that but no, also yeah. it's like, um, so he puts the like picture on like one of the frames in a completely burnt up building. Yeah. Like, it's so symbolic. Like, these two like revolutionary people, like these two icons like civil rights icons yeah we're friends in a country that was on fire that is on fire you know like it's so symbolic and it withstands the test of time as well indeed okay so i'll ask it did mookie do the right thing and the right thing being did he do the right thing when he threw the trash can through the window of sal's it's interesting because Spike Lee himself doesn't take a stance on it, and I think that's the most interesting point of them all, is that he does not, in a sense, tell the uh, viewers what to think. Most directors will take a stance. I think he takes a stance in creative license with the Malcolm X movie. We see that in certain points, and in the way Spike Lee portrays it as if you to believe that only the Nation of Islam could have killed Malcolm, because there's a lot of things to lead up to that, even though the, the debate still goes on on who did it, Spike Lee takes the stance there. And in this movie... 
No, he doesn't. Whoa, I wait. disagree. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. I you, feel like, I feel there's literally like, a scene where Malcolm says, I'm going to stop saying the Nation of Islam did this because they cannot do this. And then it zooms in on the bug in his room. I felt like. And the FBI listening to I him. I felt like it, it led up to it a bit more because, like, the way that, you know. He's not they, taking a stance. Fire, he's, when he's, they firebomb the house and everything, and, and Malcolm repeatedly says. But then, and then the next scene later, he's talking to Betty on the phone. Okay, fair enough. But fair he's enough. taking. He's not taking a stance. He's I, showing in the book. That is what happens in the book. It literally. There's a whole chapter where he talks. Or it's not a whole chapter. Where he the, goes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop saying the nation of Islam's okay. doing this. I thought the movie led direct in that one direction, but okay, fair. You should enough. read the book, Alex. All right, fair enough. Sorry. No, yeah. Uh, I just thought it led in that one direction. Watch the documentary. And the as way well. that I thought that was the way that Spike was trying to lead the viewer uh. a bit, which again, it's fine, but. I guess I just apparently missed that as well. Oopsie daisy. Yes, um, you did. But I mean, I, I mean, I have my own interpretation. But, but um, back to do the yes, right thing. Sorry, Spike um, Lee has an obvious stance. I don't think that he necessarily does. There's a quote where he says, "Nobody of color has ever walked up to me and asked if Mookie did the right thing." Really? He's you can you can read him say that. No, I mean, okay, okay. I'm saying, okay, sorry. I'm saying Spike has a stance, but within the movie, like the fact that he puts. The Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X quote back to back. I think he's supposed to be posing the question sort of to where the viewer can decide for themselves. I believe Spike has his own stance, but within the film, he allows it to be you interpret it as you want. Which or I think you, is, which or I you think could ta- see it as they were like Malcolm all throughout the movie, and then Radio Rahim got killed, being like Malcolm didn't work anymore. So they went like Ma- or Martin. Yeah, no, no, and yeah, they you, went you like Malcolm. Swap. That's I, and I, that's, that's so important, though, because like, Again, I'm going back to like this summer and just everything that happened. When Martin Luther King doesn't work, you become Malcolm X. Like it's just, it's the natural progression of things, especially when it comes to civil unrest and just like unrest in general. And what we saw was civil unrest, like this brutalized like neighborhood, like over policed and like underfunded but like these people were happy right but they were struggling they were oppressed and you have these people who are in their neighborhood profiting off of their neighborhood off of them and they have no respect for them whatsoever like none and it it comes to that culmination uh, yeah is that the word it comes to a peak you know, we'll just go with that. Like, when Mookie throws a trash can through the window because he finally realizes that they might be in his neighborhood, but they have only taken and never given. And, Alex, an interpretation, if you'd like to hear, is that Ma- or Ma- or Mookie was doing that to protect Sal, Vito, and Pino because the crowd was about... I don't, ma- I don't. I don't believe that. Spike Lee says that's uh, not I real. Say, I don't. No, that's, that's that's not. That's, but the, the that's crowd was about. The sports. crowd was coming mm. down on him, so he got the trash can through through the window. So that, they destroy the property instead of killing more people. I mean, no. instead that, of people dying. That's that is. that is a stretch of stretch. If you saw that one, cool. I was about to if say, you believe I, that, that's a, that's. I'm that's, not here getting schooled twice something. now, but that's not that's not great at all. No, I don't. I don't interpret it as that. I'm just saying that is a. That's, that's really far fetched. That's no. I, I <laughs> yeah, think, Spike Lee said it's not true himself. Yeah, but, but yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the mo- the movie also is interesting to me because honestly, I don't know about you guys, but every other scene, Sal is like different. Like one scene, you know, Sal is like put in contrast with his awful kid, uh, Pino, who is horrible. 
uh, by John Turturro. Like he's terrible. Like he's a. Honestly, I liked him. What? She thought he was attractive. But also, I just kind of, I kind of liked his character. I don't know. He was like. He's objectively terrible. I know. I just, I don't know. He's Weird. objectively the worst person in the movie by far. I agree. But I think it's interesting <laughs> because some scenes, you know, like when Sal with the mayor and like Pino's like yelling at Sal, like, you know, not giving the money and Sal's like, hey, come on. And then Sal's like talking about how proud he is to have had this place in the neighborhood and had these kids raised on his pizza and whatnot. And you're like, okay, do I like him? And then other scenes, he just loses it. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, yeah. it's kind of jarring. It's almost, it's almost inconsistent, but I don't know if like, if the point is he's supposed to be or if like they just actually wrote him inconsistently. No, it's supposed to be that racist people can still seem nice even when they have these prejudices deep within them. Point. So like Mr. Sure. Ford or Master Ford from 12 Years a Slave, he seems nice and all, but he still has all these prejudices because he's obviously owning that's slaves. Point. That's, a good, that's a good point. And you can see that when he when Sal is backed into a corner, that's when he becomes his most outwardly racist. That that is that is true. That and is. most most people <clears throat> aren't most racist people aren't open and out with it like most people keep it to themselves like it's just like in the things they do and like in the things that they support and stuff like that and like you can see like that general progression as the movie goes along until he's like pushed to his breaking point and his back's up against the wall and then he just straight up is like calling them slurs and he's like ready to beat the crap out of them like Yeah, no, I mean that that that's entire that's that's entirely fair. Um, it yeah, I mean that the thing is the movie. You know, I'm watching it. I don't know anything about the movie, right? Or not? I know much about it. And I'm watching. I'm like, okay, how's this gonna end? Like, what's the question that Dave, Dave's talking about? The question. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, well, what are we gonna? And then it just ramps up to a million like that. Like, Raider Raheem comes in with his radio, and I'm like, okay, all right, and uh. And Giancarlo Esposito again, by the way. His name's um, uh bugging out. That's right, that's right. And and they come in and I'm like, huh. Um, well, this is gonna go somewhere. And then Sal gets the bat, I'm like, okay, whoa. And then Sal breaks, I'm like, okay, whoa. And then there's, you know, this massive fight, and like, okay, and then, you know, Sal looks like he's gonna die. I'm like, what the heck is happening? And then the cops are like, oh no. And then I saw where it was going, I was like, okay, this is yep. And I mean, I think I think it honestly I think part of it is that's supposed to be that jarring because in reality, situations like that can happen just like that, and that's the point. And I think it executes it perfectly because the day is normal, everything's fine until, you know, everything just completely implodes in a matter of minutes. But But Alex. What? Did Mookie do the right thing? Never answered. It's an odd it's an odd situation. I think he did. I mean, I, I the mo- the movie poses the question because it is an important question, right? And I think I think it's I mean it's odd. I'm try I'm trying I'm trying to think out of my head to where I don't just, you know, just like say nonsense that doesn't even sound coherent because then that where's the point of the thought? But I mean I think words. What? Say just go ahead. Talk it out. Come on then. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to think of it. I think. (laughs) I think it's interesting because you know, like even there's a point which this was weird, and I caught this only in the subtitles, not in a bit in the audio. Is like you know, um, like when Radio Raheem uh gets killed by that cop, like you can hear the rest of the cops like, like frantically telling him to stop, which is also just weird. And I didn't even notice that until I watched the scene again, which was like, huh. I suppose that's that's the reality because then it gets even worse when the same cops then go along with it, which is honestly even. Oh yeah, worse. and like that still happens. Like literally, yeah, they'll no. be like, "Oh, don't do that, don't do that," and they're yep. like, "Uh, self defense." 
Yeah, I think I think that was I think that was definitely a I think that was the point of it. And I was like, okay, that's weird and just it was just an odd scene in general. And I, I get it though, because again, it is also reality, which is an unfortunate reality, but it had to be depicted and I think it was expertly depicted because it was just so much chaos going on. I mean, I think I think he did because of what Sal and them represented within the neighborhood and within all that happened. And again, you know, the movie you're you're kinda like questioning like, okay, Sal doesn't have anybody on the wall, but you know, it's also Sal's restaurant and those people that he grew up looking up to and idolized because he is a full blooded Italian. We know that. And then, you know, you're like, okay, maybe that's just his decision, right? Maybe that's just what but then of course, as Demaya points out, when he gets back against the wall, that's when he goes full on racist, which that's why they waited for him to say that word until then. That's why they made it so commonplace that, you know, you almost don't catch it. And one of the things I liked about it was that, you know, he doesn't say it and then the music drops and everybody pauses, right? He just says it. And then, and then the movie continues. It's like it's like just a part of him. It's not some big event. He doesn't even look remorseful. It was natural. Exactly. And I thought that was a really cool take. And I also thought... The whole relationship with uh, Mookie's sister was really weird. That was really creepy. But I, but you know what? A lot of racist people fantasize yep. about that, black people. And that it's was so weird. That, that was the point, and I was that was genuinely one of the most uncomfortable it's, scenes of these it's three movies. So gross. Dude. It was like so, so weird. weird. It was so weird. So I think, in retrospect, considering what they represented, yeah, I think the situation is a bit odder because it's like you know, it. It escalates in a strange way because yes, Sal says the bad things, but then they all they also come into his restaurant to provoke him, and he reacts badly. But the point is that they, I mean, no, seriously, they, they they're going to get a reaction. Whatever the reaction is, they're going to do that. Of course, the reaction is he destroys the radio, which is not the best reaction, but that's they're going to get something out of him. And then it escalates further to where Rahim attacks him and pulls him over the counter. And then everybody like is fighting and everything and. I mean, even Vito, who is the nice brother, as we've seen, because at least Vito's he, the one that called yeah, the cops. Exactly, Vito calls the cops to save his dad because, in reality, as the movie goes on, like if Raheem does not stop, Sal well, is, Sal was gonna die. Sal was gonna die, which is again the moral question is like, like somebody had or Sal was going to die. Like that was the only other alternative is somebody stops Raheem. Of course, they stopped him the most incorrect way possible, obviously, but like that was the only thing that. Nobody else could seemingly stop him because Vito and Vito and Pino were in the corner getting, you know, thrown against the wall at that point. Even to backtrack more than like just that scene where like Radio Rahim and um the guy who got like kicked out, what did he do? He was like rude or something. Bugging oh, out. The, oh, yes, bugging out. He uh wanted more black people on the wall. Yeah. That's right. Um so like when they when he was going around, try, he he was trying really hard to get people to boycott, and that for me would have been fine. Like I was like, okay, I I understand. Like, fair enough. I mean, you want the people who are in your neighborhood to represent your neighborhood. That's fine. Yeah. But when they go into the store, like, or go into the Restaurant. the shop or yeah. whatever, and then Radio Rahim turns on his radio again, on loud, knowing full well that A, it's an issue, B, this is an establishment. Like, And I get that, you know, like certain establishments have certain rules and like rules are meant to be broken and things like that. But like it was asking for trouble. Exactly. And I, I, I like there's a thing called good trouble. Like 
when you are dealing with like civil rights and social justice and stuff like that. Good trouble is just that it's trouble that you get in, but it's good because it's like it's like trouble that moves you forward, puts you like you are for your cause. I don't necessarily know if them going back into cells was good trouble. Yeah. And I think that's the only thing about this movie that I struggled with. Yep. And I think I think you're supposed to question it because I think the issue is, you know, they went in there trying to get a reaction out of Sal and they just got the reaction they didn't like. Right. Like that's like they wanted him to do something. They they just didn't. He didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I think that's where you're supposed to be like, huh? Like because it's really bad that he smashes his radio. But what else is he, the owner of the restaurant, exactly. supposed to do? Like, like he didn't hit he, Raheem with the bat. He hit the radio. Like he could have, like if he had just swung at Raheem, that would have been a whole other that animal. It, it would have been a different yeah, movie, a whole other different story. But, and I think the fact that he went for the radio yeah. is telling. I think he could have dealt with like Raheem and bugging out, being in there, like just like kind of causing a scene. But the radio was a point of contention for him, mm-hmm. and the fact that he smashes it. And then the room goes silent. Like, that's supposed to be it, right? Okay, your radio got smashed up. Sorry about it. He told you not to bring it in there. He told you not to play it like that. Like, this is his place regardless. Like, it's it's not, it wasn't racist that he told you you cannot yeah. play your loud radio in my establishment yeah. where people are trying to eat and talk and, like, just spend time, you know? It's like, okay, should should Raheem have picked up his broken radio pieces and left? Like, that's the question that we're posed with as, like, the audience. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because I think it then goes further because, you know, did Mookie do the right thing? What Sal and them represent, I mean, we know Pino's terrible. We know... I mean, we know that. We know Sal, as you said, when his back's against the wall, he slipped into the racism that he had. But Sal and Pino and Vito did not kill Raheem. They did not ask the cops to kill him. They did not even assist in doing it. They were busy trying to get away because, again, Sal was at death's door at a certain point. And I think that's where it's like, all right, the issue is the cops and not so much Sal, but what... But the problem is that sound them represent the same thing as the cops in a sense. Two you know sides of the same coin. Exactly, exactly. Exa- right in di- here. In different forms. In different yeah. forms, obviously, because the cops is much more blatant and much more worse, but sound them represent their own right. Much more worse. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? I, I don't do good with the words, but I think that's where the question really comes from is that, you know, and then even further the question is posed because then the mob almost goes after the Korean shop and you're like, what did they do? And, then, than- and then they're posed with the question, though. This shop has been beneficial to us and beneficial to them. Yeah. And the owner's like, I'm black. That that was <laughs> he's like, funny. He's like, listen, white people hate me just as much as they hate you, I promise. Like, let's be friends right now. And it's a valid point. And uh, again, like, which this is like something from Judas and the Black Messiah, like the coalition of multiple races is terrifying to the established white social structure that we live under the rainbow coalition from judas Fred and the book yeah. yeah in judas you and know the what Black that Messiah. is alex um vaguely because you've mentioned it a couple times and i think I, I think i've seen some some stuff on it but not much it's fred hampton the leader of the black panthers got like a coalition of a, a southern a leftist southern 
uh, they were called the Young Patriots, and they're they're from the South, and they were like really poor and stuff. And he got them, and he got a Hispanic like gang, and they all came together to work towards a better mm. community. And the FBI killed Fred Hampton. Well, that's not. A- and he also like was able to unify um, a bunch of different black uh, black liberation groups as well. The Crowns, the Black Panthers, the Crowns were someone else. Uh, no, the crowns. Right. The crowns were the Hispanic one. I thought. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, they're not. The okay. crowns are the ones with the green berets. But as you were saying, what was I saying about the Korean restaurant and how there's a oh, coalition yes. of races? The coalition of races, like there is solidarity. <laughs> this is gonna sound bad, but like there's solidarity in being other. Yeah. Like, and that's what that moment signified. Like, it was small, it seemed a tad bit insignificant and kind of stupid and really odd, but the purpose was there's some sort of solidarity between minority groups. Like, in that moment, they were the same. Yeah. And I think I think that was the point, but I also think another part of the point is that, you know, it's also not so, there is solidarity, but it's also not cut and dry because, again, the Korean restaurant is treated rather horribly throughout. Yeah. And again, the riot almost goes in after them except for <laughs> that statement, which it's kind of funny, but as you said, it's also an important scene about the solidarity. Now, I want to ask you guys, do you think he did the right thing? Yes. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that's fair enough. I don't really have anything to say on it. I just think he did the right thing. And I never questioned it. Um, but again, like Davis said, like Spike Lee said that no person of color will ever question it. And like when I, or he said, no bot, no person of color has ever come up and asked him okay, if yeah. he did the right thing. Because in your head, like you understand the gravity of the situation. Like, and I try to sit there and think, what would I have done if I was Mookie? Like, what would I have done? And I don't. Like, I don't know, you know? And I think that's the most important part about it is you really don't know. But you understand that for him, for his situation, the way he was, the way he reacts, he did the right thing for himself and for his community. Simple simple as that. Yeah. Anything else to say? Any last thoughts before we close out the show altogether? I really enjoyed my movies. I think... My favorite one was Judas and the Black Messiah. It it oh, just was. It's just really That's nice. Fair. Alex, you have, uh, your favorite? Uh, my favorite one uh, was Twelve Years a Slave, because I mean I just I really liked the movie, and also I mean if anybody's listened to the show before, I really like music, and the music in that movie like was insane, especially the music when he's getting hung like that. It's insanely like invent. It doesn't even sound like a basic orchestra. It's a whole other thing, and that was honestly one of my favorite parts about it, is that the music just swells and. Particularly the opening when there's no no lines and it's just music and then silence and then more music. But that that movie just was really just so good. Uh, I can't really choose a favorite. Honestly. I must say, like I, I like can. all three. All three are very good in their own right. I like all four. Okay. Oh okay. yeah, all four were really I'm really sorry, good. Sorry guys, yeah. I tried. All right. Well, if we don't have anything else to say, I think that'll do it here for from us on uh, through the lens. Wow. Davis Ooh. can never figure out the title <laughs> of this show. We try our best, and he can't even tell you the title of my goodness. But this has been uh, another episode of Through the Lens doing our Black History Month episode talking about a host of amazing movies and the implications that they have. And just remember, black history is our history. There you go, Davis. Remember that. It shouldn't be just a month. Black History Month. Try Black History Year. Boom. 
or just, just keep going. I was, I was about to say, what, Black what, history what, decade. What, I was about to say, what's Black past? history century. Eternity. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Whoa. I mean, I mean, seems to be solved. But uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next time.